Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Coming up on Believe in Soccer, victims of another wonder goal. Gonzalo Higuain's free kick strike sends the Red Bulls to a devastating defeat. We'll hear from the team's first-year midfielder, Drew Yearwood, next. Hi, and welcome to Believe in Soccer with former U.S. goalkeeper and New York soccer icon, Shep Messing. I'm Steve Cangelosi. Think of the home games that this team has lost to an undermanned D.C. United team, to second-year FC Cincinnati, and now to expansion Inter-Miami. The difference in the latest defeat, they had a second-half lead, and by night's end, Shep, they had no points to show for it. Yeah, Steve, I'm trying to think for New York Red Bulls, a stretch of three games at home, and you just described the loss. But to put the cherry on the top, think about the goals that won the game for the opposition, right? That last-minute deflected shot against D.C. United, the Olympico, right? Madunyanin, and then Iguain with that set-piece beauty. That's an excruciatingly painful way to lose games, so... They've got to suck it up and get back quickly. We'll hear from interim head coach Bradley Carnell in just a moment. Nine shots in the opening half. No goals to show for it. If Matuidi does not make the great save along the line to save the day for his side at the last split second, or if Barlow puts a shot past the extended arm of John McCarthy, is this a different game or not? Yeah, definitely. Look, Steve, we called the game, you and I, and this is an inter-Miami team trying to integrate a world-class player, Gonzalo Higuain, but they're a team that's decimated by absences, by injuries, including the broken arm of Luis Robles. So it was John McCarthy, relatively inexperienced in goal. So yes, to answer your question, it would have been a different game if you put two or three goals up on the board, but inter-Miami came out in a defensive posture, they didn't want a wide open game and they got into the locker room, they did their job. So they just wanted to hang around in the game, hoping to get a set piece. That's exactly what happened. A tough day for interim head coach Bradley Parnell, his take on the loss when it was done. A game of two different halves, Uh, a really lockdown performance uh, in the first half, you know, out shooting the opponents nine uh, to four and zero shots on target. So, I mean, we just failed to to put it over the line and uh, take a real grip on the game and a real control on the game. I thought for the most part, totally against the run of play, we we gave up two situations where, yeah, we get a little bit exposed and then on our set piece and uh, we seem to be in the business of giving up world-class goals, you know, and, and giving people their first goals. So, yeah, it's another one of those bitterly disappointing nights. Um, and I'm sitting here really in shock because this is a game that, yeah, we should never, never be on the receiving end and, and not getting any points. It's... Yeah, so unfortunately, yeah, a little bit left uh, speechless. Um, but yeah, we just have to now try find a way. Um, and that was the message to the boys. We must find a way. The irony of Gonzalo Higuain winning the game with that splendid strike is that he had a difficult time with Aaron Long for much of the night. Yeah, I joked about it. You know, probably shouldn't during the broadcast. I said he's got a 
stop hanging out in South Beach eating pizza because I thought he really strolled around the field. And, and look, Aaron Long is a big-time defender. He ate him up. Uh, nothing he could do, obviously, on a set-piece opportunity, but he struggled, Iguain against Aaron Long. I understand some of that is tongue-in-cheek, but Iguain's starting for the third time in a really short amount of time. He's acclimating to a new country, and now he's got this goal to build on. Uh, it's the Red Bulls we were wondering if they would build on the first big moment of the match, and it was provided by Omir Fernandez in the game's 53rd minute. Spall takes a deflection. Nealis again. Plays in the space. Played across. Goal! Omir Fernandez with the finish. Flag stays down. Red Bulls have a 1-0 lead. There was a chaotic build-up to that goal, but once they score, aren't you thinking this is their night? No, Steve. Look, you and I, during broadcast, you've often heard me say uh, there are inordinate amount of goals scored first five minutes last five minutes of the half statistically that's proven the other statistic is your most vulnerable after you've just scored a goal why are you switched off are you still celebrating whatever it is they just switched off and that's that's not the moment when you could switch off tough game you've just scored the first goal the go-ahead goal you've got to be tough and you've got to be switched on when we spoke with Carnell after the game, I wasn't sure if he was actually looking at the field when the goal was scored. There was still some business and maybe the residue of celebration or what to do now that they had the lead. But he said the entire bench was stunned when the goal was put in by Matias Pellegrini. Later on, the Red Bulls empty their bench. The offensive options were there. They put a premium on winning this game. I, I think that was telegraphed to all of us by the nature of the substitutions that came in. The likes of Matthias Jorgensen looking for his first goal. Brian White, who comes off the bench. Clearly, they wanted the three points. And Iguain, largely a non-factor in this game, has the one moment that's going to live, and it's a candidate for MLS Goal of the Week. Gonzalo wants it, throws it, and he scores! His first goal in Major League Soccer. It's a beauty on a free kick. Gonzalo Iguain has given it to Miami the lead. It's got power. It's got bend. It's got velocity. Bang off the post. Break down the goal. You're in that position in your career hundreds, perhaps thousands of times. Well, Steve, for a goalkeeper facing anybody with a set piece from that distance, that angle, it's the perfect angle for a shot on goal. For, so for the goalkeeper, you got to line up your wall. It's only up to you how many players you put in the wall. And David Jensen put six players in the wall. That's a lot. When you place, put six players there, they've got to cover the near post. As a goalkeeper, your job is is again it's all about probability you've got to cover the far post you've got to count on your wall to cover the near post higher degree of difficulty for Iguain is to dip it over the wall and have it dip down on goal that's the lower lower risk so Jensen's got to make sure he's got that far post covered I thought he was a step too far to his right I don't know if he would have made the save if he were a step further over to the post it was a rocket of a shot and and look 
Guys like Iguain, they practice those a thousand times a week. He he hit it perfectly. And now one of the great goal scorers in Europe has opened his MLS account, and suddenly Miami might be thinking playoffs. We'll get into the race a little bit later on. Well, Wednesday's loss to Inter Miami was Drew Yearwood's seventh game in MLS, and I'm sure it's not the first time he has seen Gonzalo Iguain play. Drew, thank you for joining us. When we spoke with coach Bradley Carnell after the game, he said the team is doing some good things, but it's not the first time the Red Bulls have fallen victim to some wonder goals by the opposition. Was that a difficult loss to digest when it was done? It was a very, very difficult loss to digest. Um, I think it's sort of been a story for us since I've been here. Um, that we create a load of chances at home and just don't seem to put the ball in the net. Drew, obviously this has been a crazy year for everybody and for you as well to come to the team in the middle of all this. But from the broadcast booth, it looks to us, Steve and I, that you have really fit in. You've gotten acclimated to the team, to the league. You're fit and you're really contributing. You, You feel comfortable out there now? Yeah, I think it's a a massive credit to my teammates. Um, They've welcomed me with open arms and they've sort of just helped me fit in. And I've come from a different, completely different style of football to here. And I've had to deal with difficult conditions and sort of quarantining and things like that and sort of looking where to live. So, yeah, I'd say I'm probably fully settled now and... Yeah, it's sort of showing on the pitch as well. Well, everyone's life has been turned upside down by the pandemic, Drew. You're a young man living now in a different country, of course. Has the adjustment been difficult for you? There is so much that this country and the team's proximity to New York City has to offer. I hope you've experienced some good in the months that you've been here. Yeah, this is my first time in the States ever, so... Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a massive last lifestyle change anyway. But, um, yeah, it's just a shame that I've come in the middle of a pandemic. But, yeah, nice. It's still, it's still amazing. Well, let's talk about when you were young, right? Yeah. Barbados, Barbados in your bloodlines. <laughs> and, and I think you went to Arsenal when you were seven, right? Spent yeah. four, five, six years there. Take us through that childhood up until your first pro contract. Yeah, so um, I was playing for a, a Sunday team just with my friends and um, I, uh, I think I scored like 50 goals or something like that in a season in like six months. And then um, there was a scout from Arsenal and he, he came to the game and he had a he had a team himself and he said to me, he just said, um, yeah, I've got a team myself, but I'm a scout for Arsenal and come down and just yeah sort of he wanted to look at me in a different team just to see so um I went to that team I scored like five goals in like 10 minutes and he brought me <laughs> off the pitch and he, he said um he gave me his card and he said uh I'll meet you at Arsenal's training ground on Friday I think it was a Friday night and I remember I was so nervous I'd, I had the little Arsenal kit as well so I went there and um yeah, I fell in love with Arsenal football. Uh, it was the team I supported already. 
So, um, yeah, I think that was more, it made me just, yeah, I just couldn't believe it. But then, yeah, I was there for about five, six years and played a load of different positions. And then I got released and I went to South End and it's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made was going there and I think getting released at so young, I think I was 12 or 13, yeah, 12. Going there so young, I was just, I didn't know what to expect and all I really wanted to do was just play football. So then, yeah, I got there and that sort of mindset of me always wanting to play football has sort of stayed with me until now. And yeah, I moved through the ranks at Southend and got into the first team. And that was it. <laughs> you settled in Harlow, England for a stretch. I believe that's only, correct me if I'm wrong, about a 30-minute drive outside of London. I assume you continued to support Arsenal. Who are the players, really, that you looked up to and said, I want to formulate and emulate my game after him? Well, I didn't actually live in Harlow. Um, I was just born there, but... I lived in a town called Loughton and it's about, yeah, 10 minutes away from Harlow, 10, 15 minutes. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy experience because at home I've still got pictures of Thierry Henry on my wall and we played against Montreal the other day and we had a fist pump. And <laughs> <laughs> in my mind, it was, yeah, it was... A really surreal moment. Well, there were some other players I, I read about that you maybe modeled yourself after. Yeah. Nagulu, Kante, Gattuso, Makaleli. Yeah. Uh, those are pretty big shoes to fill. Yeah. Um, watching a lot of clips of them um, from when I was about, say, about 16. So, yeah, my last four years, I've probably watched a lot of, a lot of clips of them three in particular. Um, yeah, that's really helped me with my game and modeling myself around that game. The English Championship, where you come from most recently, is such yeah. a grind, a 46-game season. So much is at stake, I know, for the top teams in the league who are one step away from the Premier League where the big money is. Uh, and I know that there were a handful of games for you at Brentford, but what did you learn about the championship? Your club was one of those that came so close to promotion to the Premier League. What did that whole experience do for you, knowing your playing time was somewhat limited for them? It was a massive, massive, massive learning year, learning curve. Um, I think I learned probably my most about, I learned the most about myself in that year. Um, dealing with so many different situations. You could be on top of the world and I got to play a handful of games and sort of, I believe I've done well and then just never really got the chance to kick on. But yeah, I, I met some, I played with some amazing players and players who will definitely go on to play in the Premier League. No doubt about it. A few of probably already gone so um yeah it was a massive learning curve for me and learning with 
it was dealing with different individuals as well because there was egos and there was certain things like that and there were things that I've never dealt with before so yeah it was it was a very good experience and yeah I'm happy I done it Leeds at West Brom and Fulham were ultimately promoted, I know. And look at Leeds now. They're playing such yeah. an exciting brand of soccer under Marcelo Bielsa in what is considered the most competitive league in the world. And I wonder if that's how you envision the Red Bulls want to employ a style of play here, and especially once Gerhard Struber gets to New York. Yeah, um, so the lucky part about the new manager that's coming in is that Brentford's last game of the season was against Barnsley. And yeah, I got to watch what sort of he wanted from his players. And um, yeah, no, it was it was really good to watch. It was a very interesting game and they won. <laughs> so yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was good to see. And I'm excited for when the new manager comes in. Well, Drew, Steve's been talking to you about the competitive spirit that that fighting for promotion i'm gonna go a little off that topic and i'm i'm half joking because we talk about mentality i i heard an interview you did when you watched the last dance and you were talking (laughs) about michael jordan and i think you had jordan sneakers with your first pair of sneakers but you said and i agree with you after watching that you said michael jordan was a rubbish teammate yeah about that he was <laughs> he was a rubbish teammate, you're right. Because you can't put people down to try and make them better. That does it doesn't work. So yeah, I think encouraging people is, is massive. What has the locker room experience been like here as opposed to your stops previously? Um would say it's a much nicer changing room than what I've what I've been in. Um, I've been in some tough, 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 tough changing rooms. Um, more so when I was younger. So now looking back, I don't know whether they were necessarily it was right for it to be as bad as it was, um, but we had a dressing room sort of when I was first breaking into first team football where you would do anything for the person beside you. And in a way, it was very honest. It was a very honest change room and it was just a group of hardworking men who would live and die by a fighting on a Saturday for, for a result. Well, I heard you were a quality Fortnite player. Are you, are you the best Fortnite player in the locker room now? I used to be, but I gave up on Fortnite now and I play Call of Duty. <laughs> but yes, I would say I'm the best Call of Duty player in the, in the changing room. <laughs> Talk about the balance of this season, Drew. Uh, the last few results have not gone the way the team wanted. One of your teammates, Christian Caceres, is away at World Cup qualifying, as is a player who has a different role on the team, an important player in Kaku. Your role, it seems, has to be expanded at minimum during this stretch and perhaps beyond that. Uh, where do you feel your game is at right now? 
yeah, I'm, I, I think I'm still building up. Um, I would say that I haven't played football in, I haven't played games in nearly six, seven months. So coming back into this now and just getting my body right and getting ready to play 90 minutes every week and we're building up. So yeah, I got 75 minutes last night. So yeah, it's, a, it's another step and we're trying to reach that ultimate goal and being able to play 90 minutes and beyond. Well, the scouting reports in the UK, and from what we see, they're very accurate. You're, you're really the consummate two-way midfielder, box-to-box, box, so you're comfortable sitting deep defending, comfortable yeah. going forward. Do you have a balance? What do you prefer? Um, I'd definitely say I probably prefer defending than attacking a... Um, but I'm starting now to enjoy going forward. Let's talk about Atlanta this weekend. The Red Bulls, in short order, have developed a significant rivalry with Atlanta. They were the yeah. two best teams in the league two years ago, and Atlanta prevailed in the playoffs. Uh, it's an almost always entertaining match when the two teams collide. Have your teammates with the Red Bulls said anything about the matchup? And from what you know of them, what is the greatest challenge playing Atlanta United this week? I think the biggest challenge for us will be playing on turf. Um, but not from, from what I've heard, um, exactly what you just said. They were the two best teams two years ago, and that was sort of the rivalry who's better. So, yeah, I think the boys are going to want to get one over. And... How do you feel, Drew, about the physicality of the league, Major League Soccer? You came from a physical league, technical as well. Yeah. Similarities? Yes. Um, te technically, very, very similar. Um, I think the, the physicality is a bit more in England compared to here, but it's it's just the difference between they're fighting for to get into the Premier League and here you're just fighting to stay at the top, stay at the top of your game. So that's the only difference for me. I'll let you go with two final questions. Are the Red Bulls a playoff team? And does Miguel Arteta have a top four team in England? <laughs> Yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suspected those would be the answers. Drew, it was really nice getting to know you in this segment, Thank and thanks you. a lot for joining us, really. Thank you. Thanks, Drew. Take care. First-year Red Bull, Drew Yearwood, and now for these final seven games of the regular season, he becomes a very important figure, doesn't he? Well, he does, and, and we've seen him get integrated into the team. We've just talked to him about it, and – I really like him as a player, Steve. He reminds me a lot of Tyler Adams. Very smooth, very mature. He's only 20 years old, and he's, he's that consummate box-to-box -box midfielder. He's got skills on the defensive side of the ball. He could get forward and create. Not going to be a goal scorer, but he looks like a terrific talent to me. No, something no one can do is start this wish process of let's get us to next season because we're going to have a full year with our new coach. We're going to have some new players, certainly, but there are games, meaningful games to play between then and now. 
but still we have to talk about Gerhard Struber and his appointment this week. Uh, for those just catching up, this could take six to eight weeks before he gets on U.S. soil. It's unclear whether he'll actually manage a game in Major League Soccer this season. He could be here if the Red Bulls advance in the playoffs and perhaps wind up playing a game in, a, in December. But right now, this is a team that's sputtering just a bit. But overall, you can't help but take a po- put a positive spin on the announcement this week. Why? Well, you know me, Steve, and I think I've been, I don't think, I know I've been critical of this team many, many times. I'm not shy about uh, criticizing them. Look, they have, as, as all their supporters know, uh, a damaged psyche over 25 years, really never having won MLS Cup, got there once, lost. Yes, Supporter Shield, okay, but it's all about MLS Cup. So this is 25 years of agony. Ali Curtis came in with Jesse Marsh, and yeah, they turned it around, changed the style of play, Supporter Shields, and since they left, nothing the fans here wondering, does Austria even know if we exist? So I can tell you in terms of Gerhard Struber, for me, this is the most exciting I've been about this team in 25 years because Dietrich Mateschitz went over there and got involved in paying the money to get Gerhard Struber out of Barnsley and come here to Red Bulls. Kevin Thelwell, big time guy to come here and run the sports side of the operation. So am I enthusiastic about the future? More than I've ever been. You know, very tentative about what happens this year. This year, to your point, you've got to compete. Anything can happen. You've got to get points. And and more importantly, we've talked about it. Gerhard Struber is watching every game. And if, if you're on a team, Steve, you better be fighting for a roster spot because this is a club going forward you want to be on. In his interview with us on MSG, Thelwell made it clear that there was serious interest from Premier League teams uh, over the summer after what he did to maintain Barnsley's place in the English Championship. It's Bradley Carnell's team for now, and perhaps for the rest of the season. We don't know just yet. Now the Red Bulls go to Atlanta. And this, to me, had become in recent years the team's chief rival, frankly. Uh, The playoff series a couple of years ago, I think took it to uh, its highest level. But think about what this rivalry was and just the players who exited the rivalry and how it's changed the perception maybe of what we're watching on Saturday. From the Red Bull perspective, we've talked about that a lot. Robles, BWP, Kaku is not part of this game on international duty. From the great Atlanta team, the champion of 2018, Miguel Almiron, Joseph Martinez is injured. Farco is no longer Uh, with this team having moved on this year. It's going to have a different feel. And maybe the biggest reason for that, not a single fan, we believe, will be at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Look, rivalries, Steve, to your point, uh, they don't go away. Yes, the teams are very different. Carlos Bocanegra talked about it this week. He's taken responsibility. He said, look, the players we let go, we did it for a reason. We have a plan. We're going to use that money in those allocations to build a better team. Well, it's been a disaster so far. Bocanegra is taking responsibility. They're desperate for a win on Saturday. And Red Bulls, they've got to get a win on Saturday. This is a huge game. 
Atlanta United will have on display its newly signed designated player from Argentina, Marcelino Moreno. And the team comes off a scoreless draw against Orlando City. I still have to watch the game. You've seen it already. Who had the standout performance? Well, Brad Guzan, for me, played the best game I've seen him play in the last couple of years. He, he Steve, was outstanding. I'm talking about world-class saves. There, w- there was one sequence where he made three saves in a row, got down miraculously to make the first, got up to his feet, made the second save, and sprawled on the ground, kicked that loose ball out. So he was sharp. If he was not that sharp, I think Orlando easily could have had five. Carnell gave us the impression we must rebound this Saturday. Is the situation that serious going into this weekend? I know it's a tough schedule down the stretch. Yeah, Steve, look, we've been looking at the standings like everybody else. Bradley Carnell knows what the standings are. Red Bulls right now in seventh place, but tied with Montreal on points. Atlanta only two points behind. Nashville with a game in hand only two points behind. So you look at the schedule. Look, is it a must win? Mathematically, no. But for your psyche, after what you've been going through, it would really help to get a win. Red Bulls, losers of two straight, try to bounce back on the road against Atlanta. They will travel day of game and head out of the South immediately following what is a 6 p.m. Eastern time start against Atlanta United. We'll have the game on MSG. We hope you're with us. For Shep Messing, I'm Steve Cangelosi. Thanks for listening to Believe in Soccer. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.